So now I get to spend the rest of the day with that with ugly cry face. <laughs> it ain't the, it's not the first time it's happened here, I'll tell you that. Um, a little hard to preach after that one, but that's all right. We'll make it. It is uh, today. Today's scripture is one that you guys have heard me talk about before. I've I've, heard, I've used it. I've utilized it in, in other sermons. Um, probably on probably on a number of occasions. I know most recently uh, I utilized it during our our Jesus Creed series back when we were meeting outdoors, and uh, I know I know I talked about it. I used it out at Oak Grove, and I, again I utilized it here. Um, but I don't think, I don't think, I may be wrong about this, but I don't think I've ever preached a sermon specifically on this passage. Um, I don't believe, I may be wrong, and y'all, y'all, can, y'all can tell me later if I am, but I don't think I've ever specifically preached a sermon solely on this passage. Uh, let me tell you how I, how I generally do sermons. And this goes back to what I mentioned in the, in the announcements about the lectionary year. Uh, so the Christian calendar... For y'all who don't know, starts the first Sunday of Advent. And we have several seasons. This is called the lectionary calendar. So the, first, the beginning of the new year is the first Sunday of Advent. And then we go through several seasons. Y'all recognize those. We have Advent. We have uh, Christmas. Help me out here, somebody. Uh, Lent. Kingdom Tide, which is what, what we call ordinary time. That's what we're coming out of. And uh, what am I missing? Pentecost. Epiphany. I may be missing one or two, but anyway, it starts, it's generally about a six to seven month cycle, starting, starting the first Sunday of Advent, which is next Sunday, and uh, through, through Easter, through Pentecost, and then what we're coming out of right now is called Ordinary Time or Kingdom Time. I've talked to y'all about that before. Anyway, the lectionary is a, is a series of Bible scriptures that run concurrent with that that run concurrent with those seasons. And there's different lectionary readings for each Sunday. One is usually a psalm. One usually comes out of the Old Testament. One usually comes out of the epistle, out of a epistle or a letter of Paul. And one generally comes out of the Gospels. And those, those scriptures coincide with that season. There's something that you can glean from the lessons behind those scriptures uh, that, that, again, coincide with the themes of those particular seasons. For example, Advent starts next week. And what, what is Advent? Advent is that time when we look forward to the coming of Christ. It's that time we look forward to not only the first coming, but also the second coming. So next week's scripture is going to focus on the second coming of Christ. So generally, nine times out of ten, this is where I get my sermons from. I'll look ahead. I'll see, I'll see what, what's laid out for me or what has been laid out. And a lot of churches do this. A lot of pastors do this. Um, it's, a, it's a global it's a global thing. Um, so I'll, I'll look through those, through those certain scriptures, and I'll ask God to direct me, and uh, I'll pick one out, and that's usually how I choose what my sermon is going to be on, nine times out of ten. Now, there have been a couple of occasions where, uh, where I preach a sermon series, especially during the, during the, corona, during the pandemic and, and while we were all uh, not meeting. Uh, but generally, again, that's how I choose them. So again, today's scripture comes from that. I tell you all that, it's wasted five minutes of your life telling you all that to tell you how I got to today's scripture today. It wasn't a scripture of my choice, is what I'm getting at. A lot of times these scriptures are not scriptures of my choice. Stuff that I preach on is not of my choice. It comes from that list. And honestly, I think God does that. I know he does it for me because he helps me to preach on stuff that I normally would not preach on. There are certain subjects that I love to preach on. 
stuff I'm not real familiar with. Don't like preach on. But I think God uses that and he forces me to dig deep into the Bible and the scripture and, and preach sometimes with stuff that I don't necessarily want to preach on. However, today is something that I do want to preach on because I absolutely love this scripture. And it just happens to fall within the lectionary today on Christ the King Sunday. It comes out of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Sandy, my wife, will tell you that the Gospel of Matthew is hands down my favorite of all the Gospels, if not my favorite book in the entirety of the Bible. Number one, because it contains the entire Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. I love the Sermon on the Mount. I base my ethics, my personal ethics, on the Sermon of the Mount. I generally have a very little literal interpretation of how I, of how I view that, how I read Jesus. the Christian ethic. But that's one reason that I, that I love it so much. But it also contains today's scripture. And this, again, is one that I love very, very much. I've always been drawn to, the, to today's scripture. Uh, for a number of reasons, I think, it's, it's, it's very inspiring to me, for one. But it's also one of the most challenging scriptures for me, personally. And I think you're going to agree that it's one of the most challenging of Jesus' teachings for you guys as well. Honestly, it's very terrifying. Or it can be. It can be a very terrifying piece of scripture for us. And it is definitely uh, very revealing as to the type of people or the kind of people that we are. It will reveal our hearts. And it might even reveal a couple other things that we're going to talk about. But this scripture causes me really to, really to look deep into the, resource, the recesses of my heart. Not just as a pastor, but just as a Christian in general. Um, and I think you'll see what I mean. Anyway, let's get to it. It's Matthew 25. <clears throat> Matthew 25. And, and those Bibles are in front of you guys. I would, I would really like for you to follow along if, if, if you can and if you will. It helps to read that scripture. I'm not trying to tell you guys what to do, but it helps if you actually read that scripture and let that, let that scripture soak into your body, into your spirit, into your mind. Scripture. It, it, it helps us all. It's, it's, how, it's one of the many, many ways that we are shaped and formed as Christians. Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, and we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All of the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer. 
sick or in prison and go visit you. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did also to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. Thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, whatever you did not do, do for one of the least of these you did not do it for me and then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life the word of God for the people of God you see what I mean by terrifying potentially terrifying so again, this is Christ the King Sunday. We, we celebrate God's or Christ Jesus' reign over all creation. And in these verses, what we're getting at is we're getting kind of a, kind of a glimpse of the future. We're getting a glimpse of, the, of, uh, of Jesus Christ sitting on his throne in the second coming and, uh, and, and taking on his role as judge. A couple things I want to explain before we get too deep into this. This scripture... Despite what you may think it looks like on the surface, this scripture, under no circumstances, is an endorsement of works-based salvation. It is not an endorsement of works-based salvation or justification. Let me get to that real quick. Now, it looks on the surface like, hey, if these, guys, if these folks do this, then they get to go to heaven. These folks don't do this, they get to go to hell. Absolutely not what Jesus is getting at. And I'll explain that to you later. Our salvation, our justification comes through one thing, and that is faith and faith alone through Jesus. Faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. That's it. That's how we're justified before God. That is how we are reconciled and we are brought into a relationship with God is through absolutely nothing but our faith in what Christ has done for us on the cross and through the resurrection. There is no, don't, don't, don't look at this and read this wrongly. This is not an endorsement of works based salvation and I will explain that to you here in just a, just a couple of minutes secondly by all accounts understand that what you're reading here for the most part for the most part is a parable it's actually a little bit of both it's a little bit parable it's a little bit um, teaching as well and I think you'll see that as we, as we go into it a little deeper but uh, it's just one of these many things. It's one of these many stories that we're familiar with that Jesus uses throughout the Gospels to illustrate a point or to illustrate a teaching. We know a lot of these. Think of the Good Samaritan. Think of the things behind and the teachings behind the Good Samaritan. Not a, not a really real story, but there's definitely, there's definitely some validity and some, and some sound teaching to it. Think about um, the widow's might, the story of the widow's might, for example. Immediately preceding this scripture, chapter. Now, don't confuse parable with fairy tale. Okay? It's a story. Jesus is the judge at the end of 
time, if you will, at the second coming. Jesus is the judge. But he's telling the story also to illustrate a greater point. Not to tell you if you do this, you're going to heaven. If you don't do this, you're going to hell. All right, are we kind of kind of grounded in that? I think um, I want to talk first about probably the most obvious part of the scripture, the most obvious part, and that is that call. There is a call within the scripture. There is a call within the scripture to love others as we love ourselves, and I think that's the most obvious, the most glaring aspect of what we see here in the scripture, especially those on the fringes of society. You're going to say, Jerry, my goodness, are we going to talk about this again? Because we have talked about this, I believe, for about the last three or four times that we've gotten together. How we treat the people on the margins of society. Yes, we are going to mention it one more time. And after today, we'll be done with it for a while, so bear with me. But we absolutely cannot ignore the most obvious aspect, the most obvious theme of this scripture. And that is God's concern for those on the fringes and the margins of society. Those that we like to ignore, those that we like to toss aside. along with our lives, right? Glaringly obvious. Glaringly obvious. The poor. We've talked about the poor already. We've talked about the foreigner already. We've talked about the widow. We've talked about the orphan. Now we get another list that Jesus gives us directly. This is a list of people. Very specific groups of people that God clearly cares about and Jesus clearly cares about. Ergo, we should deeply care about as disciples of Jesus Christ. Who are they? poor, or I'm sorry, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned. So remember from our previous teachings out of Amos, and I think it was Isaiah, that as Christians in both our personal lives and our corporate lives, both our personal lives and our corporate lives, or our communal lives, we are called to help and we are called to walk alongside those in need that is part of who we are it is an undeniable unignorable fact the only reason that we cannot agree that this is Christianity 101 is we simply don't want to do it there is no way that we can get around this 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 fact that God wants us expects us in our personal and communal lives to live in solidarity with those on the margins. To claim otherwise, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. And there are folks who do. There are folks who don't. Who would say otherwise? You can't ignore this. You can't ignore it. We don't get to ignore the plight of the naked. We don't get to ignore the plight of the sick and the imprisoned in our personal lives and both our lives and then the body of Christ, the church. We identify ways. We identify. We find ways um, to reach out and, and, and to help, and, but also to live alongside, also to live along in solidarity with those on the fringes. This reminds me, it's interesting that Susan quoted a, a, uh, a scripture out of Hebrews you don't, hear, you don't hear Hebrew scriptures quoted a whole lot. But this reminds me of another scripture in the next chapter of the one over that Susan mentioned this morning. Susan mentioned Hebrews chapter 12. This reminds me, Jesus' teaching here reminds me of a scripture in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. 
says this, says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some of y'all know this, by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Anybody else get chills just then? Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves are being mistreated or are suffering. I don't need to remind you guys that our Methodist tradition has a rich, rich history in caring for other people. That is, that is kind of part of the Wesleyan or the Methodist DNA. We have such a rich history, such a rich tradition because John Wesley took a lot of this stuff very, very literally. And I think we all should. But that is, that is again, that's in our blood. That's in our, that is in our, it's in our DNA. Two of the biggest ministries that John Wesley had That's what he was known for. You may remember a few weeks back that I shared with you guys a quote out of West, one of Wesley's sermons that showed how much he really believed in this. Um, and, and I want to share that with you again. If, you, if you've forgotten it or maybe if you weren't here, I want to share with you that quote again. Just, just to show you where our, where our tradition comes from, where, our, where, where we get our, our scriptural um, um, interpretation and how, we, and how our faith has been lived out through this interpretation over the over the centuries, you know, Wesley was very devout. He was he was very devout, and uh, and uh, spiritually disciplined. That's something he was kind of known for. Uh, he was known for fervent, fervent prayer. He was known um, for hardcore fasting. As a matter of fact, he expected his preachers to to fast two twice a week. He was known for being a person of deep prayer, deep long prayer. Very, very disciplined man. But he was also known for his care for others. And as a matter of fact, he said that his care for others superseded his individual spiritual practices. And that's what he says here in this quote. He says, whenever therefore one interferes with the other, whenever my spiritual practices, my individual personal spiritual practices interfere with helping somebody out, whenever one interferes with the other, works of mercy are to be performed, helping people are to be performed over works of piety. My personal devotions. Even reading and hearing scripture and prayer are to be omitted or at least postponed at charity's almighty call when we are called to relieve the distress of our neighbor, whether that relief be in mind, body, or soul. I think that's pretty powerful. So again, clearly, one more time, and this is the last time I'll talk about it for the year. This is our, our call. This is clearly part of our call. Jesus himself Again, identify specific people in these scriptures, these groups that we're called to assist and, and again, stand in solidarity with, whatever that may look like, folks. Now, here's the thing. Lois Clyde mentioned a very good thing, a very um, good thing, a very correct thing uh, from several weeks ago. She said, Jerry, we can never do enough. And she is absolutely right about that, folks. She's right about that in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, we, and I think I understand what you meant by that. You know, there's, there's always going to be problems. Number one, we can never do it over Jesus. I get that part. But there's always going to be problems. You know, there's never going to be, we're never going to get to a point where, okay, we're done. <laughs> okay? And I get that. And I understand that. We, we, we all should understand that. Uh, but at the same time, we can't deny what Christ says here. And we can't ignore what Christ says here. Notice that he is not specific. 
telling us exactly what to do in these scriptures. He just says, because, he just says, y'all care for me. I was hungry, y'all fed me. Um, I was naked, y'all clothed me. I was thirsty, y'all gave me something to drink. But beyond that, he's not real specific. This can play out in a whole lot of ways, folks. This can play out in a whole lot of ways. The main point here is Jesus is not saying that it's because of these works that we're going to be united with him. But rather, it is by and through these types of works that we are identified as Christ's people. Does that make sense to you? That goes back to what I was getting at in the beginning when I was telling you that this isn't, this isn't about, hey, did you guys feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and uh, visit people in prison and care for the sick, you're going to go to heaven. But if you don't, you're going to hell. On the surface, that's kind of what we see there. That ain't what he says. Jesus is identifying his people in these verses. Let me repeat what I just said because that's kind of wordy. And I'm, I'm going I'm to break it down in a second. Jesus is not saying that it is because of the works that we're doing. It's not because of the works that we do that unite us with them. But rather that it is by and through these works that we are identified as his people. These people who are doing these things that are my people. Other words, this... This is the disposition of people who have believed in Christ. And I hope I'm making this clear enough. I don't feel like I am. Christ is identifying his people through these works. It is my people whose disposition it is to help the poor, clothe the naked, to feed the hungry. Clearly, these folks who are not to do such are not my people. My people have an inclination, whether it be through their heart, their mind, or their hands, to do these things. They are led to some degree or another, whatever that may be, maybe it's just, maybe it's just giving a dollar. But they are led in their hearts towards doing the things that I've commanded them to do. People who are not my people really are not. The sheep are inclined to help the poor. The goats are not. It's not because you did this, you're going here. You did this, you're going there. He's just helping us know what these people look like. He's revealing the condition of our hearts. Are we, am, I, am I getting that through now? Does that, does that make sense to you? Man. We should have this inclination. This should be our default heart. The default position of our hearts and our minds. As followers of Jesus Christ. Y'all know I like to quote a lot. A guy, guy by the name of Dallas Willard. He put it like this. He says. Hold on. This is good. He says doing the things that Jesus said. Is not a matter. Of trying to do the things that Jesus said. It is a matter of becoming the kind of person. Who would naturally do them. Did y'all get that? It's good isn't it. <laughs> That's good. That's good stuff. Let me ask you this. Are our hearts inclined to serve in this capacity? 
are our hearts inclined to love and to serve the ones that Jesus calls the least of these in Matthew 25? Are our hearts inclined to serve the ones that Jesus refers to as the least of these in Matthew 25? Ask yourself that. Are you inclined to that? Because here's the kicker. Here's the kicker I'm going to leave you guys with or lead you as I try to wrap this thing up today. Because if your heart is not inclined to that, if your mind is not inclined to that, then maybe... Perhaps we're not really the people of Jesus that we think we are. In these scriptures, Jesus himself says that these are my people. These are the righteous. These are the sheep. The ones who are inclined to do these things. Just one of the ways that, that we identify Christ's followers is that they're inclined towards these things. So two questions. Are we indeed actively seeking out and engaging these opportunities to love and to serve them? Am I doing that? If not, why? And if not, again, is it possible? If I'm not inclined to these things, is it possible that even though I've been occupying a church for years and years and years, that just maybe I'm not authentically aligned with Christ? You have to answer that honestly for yourself. I have to answer that honestly for myself. But if we're not, again, if our minds and our hearts aren't inclined to these things, if we're not, at least to some degree, have some concern, some care for the ones that Christ calls the least of these, there could be a much deeper spiritual problem. You know, we can value, we can and we should evaluate our spiritual condition on these matters okay as a matter of fact we can evaluate the spiritual condition of other people on these matters don't get mad at me I didn't say this Jesus says this Paul says this yes we can judge the spiritual condition of other people and ourselves because scripture reveals to us certain aspects of people who are authentically in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. We can get mad about statements like that. We can get defensive all we want. It's just what it says. Anybody recall the fruit of the Spirit? Ephesians, Paul writes about it. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do I exude these qualities? Do I exude these characteristics? Does my brother or sister in Christ exude these qualities or these characteristics? I had a conversation with another pastor the other day. Somebody. And uh, I said, there's no way that person's a Christian. They're not a Christian. Everything that person says and does is, is, is evil. We can gauge these things. We, we can. 
And again, don't get mad at me. I've talked about this before. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the concluding verse. And this is way too much to get into today. Concluding verse of 1 Corinthians 5. Paul writes this. What business is... I think I used this recently too. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? This particular occasion, they had somebody that was doing some pretty awful things in the church. This is what Paul writes to them. What business is of mine? Don't worry about what everybody's doing out there. Of mine to judge people outside the church. Are you not to judge those inside? Here's what he says. God will judge those outside. Expel that wicked person from among you. We can judge our qualities, folks. We can judge our relationship with Christ. We can judge our authenticity. And yes, as mad as you know, we want to talk about not judging, we can, we, we can rightly judge based on certain things the spiritual condition of other people. As Christians, we have that right. We have that authority under Scripture. Do they exude? Do I exude the fruit of the Spirit? Is my heart inclined to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty? Those are just a few examples that you find it that you find throughout Scripture, folks. We can evaluate ourselves. And if, if we're not, we're not going to be perfect. Don't get me wrong. Nobody's perfect. But if we're not lining up, if these things aren't coming out in me, if they're not coming out in you, something's, something ain't right. Something ain't right here. Here's my concern. And here's another conversation I had with a saint of God the other day. Here's my concern. My concern in it is that there are a lot of people, there are plenty of people today who are occupying church pews who are not saved. That's my concern, and that's my message to you, and I'm not directing this toward any person, any individual in this room. Only you can figure that out on your own. But there's a lot of people sitting, sitting in a church pew today who are not truly saved, even though they might think they are. They've been sitting in these churches for years, for decades. Maybe they've served in leadership positions. But they've never fully submitted to Christ. You've met them. Y'all probably thinking about somebody right now. They serve in leadership positions. They've been in, in churches for decades. Maybe, probably unbeknownst to them, they're not even saved. They've never submitted. They've never fully, fully submitted to Christ. Their thoughts, their words, and their acts and actions show it. Jesus identifies those who are his people, those who are inclined, those who have this disposition. <clears throat> towards serving others. Certainly we have that call in our life and certainly we should do those things and take actions on those things. But it's as, as, just, as just so much about Christianity is it always goes back to the heart. No matter how much we do, Lois Clyde, it's not about the actions that we take. It's not about measuring quantity 
of actions. Why am I doing these actions? Am I doing it for my glory? Am I doing it so I can see? Am I doing it so I can put it on Facebook or Twitter? Or am I doing it for the glory of God? Am I doing it for God's kingdom? That's what God cares about. He cares about the why, Aaron. We talked about the why before. Why do I do the things that I do? Is my heart truly Does my love reveal itself outwardly through gentleness, kindness, self-control? All those things that Paul names in the fruit of the Spirit. Search yourselves. I search myself frequently. Biggest, biggest, biggest fear of my life is that I'm going to serve a church. any any other any other possible reason